Welcome back to the Maluli Asset Management Podcast. This is episode number 225. I'm Tom Maluli, and along with me today is Brendan Maluli, and we are going to be discussing some topics of the day. We're going to kick it off with something Facebook announced recently. Facebook is trying to team up with uh, some big banks. Uh, they want to share data with them and somehow get a, it seemed like like a payment process working like embedded right in Facebook so you can more or less shop in app, which I understand. why wouldn't they want that? Sure, I understand that, you know, Apple Pay, like a lot of Apple products, starts out slow, gains momentum over a few years time, and then all of a sudden they're the elephant in the room. So I understand where Facebook wants to think ahead about future revenue streams, makes a lot of sense. But just seeing a headline like this, hey, banks, give us your data. Holy moly, this is like the last thing I want. It's like telling a secret to Chatty Cathy, your neighbor. It's like it's well, going to yeah, be all over town. It's bad, bad optics based on what has happened with Facebook recently. But if you trust banks or other social media companies or internet, con like if you trust anybody with your data and, and you think that it's not being like shared I'm I'm not sure I'd buy that in any capacity. Like if JP Morgan tells me that, I don't think I'd buy it any more than I buy it from Facebook. Right. So they're all using it to like sell advertisements to people. Like you get things in the mail or email and it's like, why the hell am I getting yeah. this? Like I don't even understand. Yeah. Like I didn't sign up for this. So they're exploring it and apparently they haven't gotten any like positive feedback from the banks who want to do this, but I think they're gonna continue doing it because I mean, just thinking of like a company like Amazon, you want it to be as seamless as possible. Like I want to go on Amazon and buy something and have it be a good user experience. So if like Facebook can make that seamless where you're like double tapping a picture of some item and then it's, they already have your like processing information saved into your account and it's, it's ordered and it's showing up a day or two later. I don't know. Maybe they'll maybe they'll be successful with that, or like Instagram. If you see something you like on there, I don't know. I don't know. I'm staying on, on MySpace. <laughs> yeah, you and you and uh, Tom from MySpace. Yeah, that's yeah. right. I I actually am Tom from MySpace. Wow, nice to meet you. Yeah. <laughs> Another headline that we saw uh, recently: traders are talking up cryptocurrencies and then dumping them. What? How could they do that? That's so unethical. Uh, I mean. I'm reading uh, right now, I'm reading uh, Devil Take the Hindmost, which is like a market history book of all like these manias and crashes that we've seen. Mm -hmm. So this stuff has been going on. This is what happened with stocks back in the 16 and 1700s before we had securities laws. So we have securities laws now because people were doing things just like this, where they were talking up something based on nothing alone, nothing more than hearsay. Like there's no earnings or profits or anything to suggest the stock price should go up. Uh, but people get sucked in and it feeds off itself and, and some people make some money off of it. 15 or 20 years ago, we used to call it pump and dump. Yeah, like penny stocks, like Wolf of Wall Street, George I Belford. Like. I saw this on The Sopranos, yeah. so it has to be true. <laughs> right. <laughs> but the whole idea with cryptocurrencies is that they're unregulated. Exactly. So this is tough because in with securities, it was like, all right, so we're, we're going to make these securities laws because we don't want people being blatantly taken advantage of and we're going to we're going to adapt these over time as new schemes come out as they will for the rest of time this is always going to exist in an industry that prides itself on being unregulated it's top like what's the solution here are they going to like you can't regulate cryptocurrencies that's the whole point of them is that they're unregulated right that is that is a uh, as we said in a previous podcast that's a feature 
not a bug. Yeah, so it, I'm not sure how you stop stuff like this from happening when they want to stay unregulated. Want, yeah, exactly. They were or they want it to be some kind of meritocracy where everybody is uh validating each other's purchases or whatever. I don't want to take this podcast off the rails, but you know, talking about things that are unregulated and what companies say and and things like that. I'm just going to say two words, funding secured. This blew up Twitter recently. Yeah. Elon Musk uh, said that he's considering taking Tesla private at $420, funding secured. Right. Now, he didn't say $420 a share. He <laughs> said $420, uh, and he said he's considering it. I don't know. Funding secured for taking a company private at $420 a share, that's like $80 billion mm-hmm. for a company that's already upside down in debt. I mean, the the debt that they issued last year is rated like C double A. That's terrible. Yeah, so they would have to pay off some of that debt, and then also buy out the shareholders that want to be bought out. And apparently, Elon Musk has some kind of indication of the percentage of share shareholders that would or would not want to be bought out in the event that they do this. But also, I'm not sure how they're going to get around the idea of having public shareholders in a private company because. You have to disclose information to regular retail public shareholders if you want to be a public company. So, like, you can't be private yeah. and give them that that information that satisfies the requirements, and and you can't be public and withhold that information. So, like, what what did there's what does he really want here? So many things that just there's way too many questions that come from like a five word tweet. If you're a shareholder and you go along with this scheme, even if it is real, how do you eventually decide when you want to sell the money or you need to sell the shares? How are you going to, what's the valuation? How do I get my money? I'm not Who sure. Who do I sell it to? You, you literally I mean, can't do that as a retail, sh- like you've got to have a lot of money to even have the ability to do that. If you're not an accredited investor, you can't really own private shares of Tesla. So I don't know how they're going to get around that one. Yeah, I understand that seeing the stock price move up and down every day is a major distraction. And having to come up with a quarterly earnings report is a major distraction. And it makes the companies, I think most CEOs would agree, it it makes the companies focus on short-term results instead of long-term goals, where you want the company to be. From that perspective, I completely understand where he would want to be a private company and not a public company. I think this guy just needs to get off Twitter yeah, more than anything else. I don't know. Like, I, I get the idea that, like, quarterly earnings are a distra- Like, if but if we know that they're a distraction, like all the points that you just made, then, like, do they have to be? Does the CEO or, like, the board, like, do these people have to bend to the whims of shareholders? Like, somehow Jeff Bezos got around that. Yeah, like, I, I'm just not sure. Like, I, you absolutely have to like game the earnings per share metric to like beat the estimates this quarter do you have to do that no no one's no one's there like with a gun to elon musk's head to make him beat quarterly earnings like he can run a company that just doesn't subscribe to that i'm not sure that i guess like you said bezos has done this but everybody else is playing these games still for the most part so i just like i'm not sure i buy that it's such a big distraction that they have to they have to manage on a on a with a short term outlook. Like they don't have to do that if they don't want to. And a, a sidebar discussion to this is you know think about all of the analysts at all these different firms that follow publicly traded companies. I mean, how many analysts at Wall Street firms and banks follow Home Depot? A lot. Okay, so how is it that Home Depot was able to beat their earnings per share this week by twenty one cents? Like 
no one was even close to where this number came in. And they're a huge company. They're a member of the Dow Jones. They talk to analysts all the time. How does this happen? So again, I'm going down a rabbit hole when we're talking about earnings and pacifying Wall Street and shareholders and things like that. But I completely understand where a CEO would say, hey, having to meet these quarterly numbers, I don't know. I, I think Bezo wins salesman of the century for being able to convince people that he needs a long leash, to a long runway to make this Amazon work. Amazon's been public for 20, about 20 years about 80 quarterly earnings reports where he's got to talk about the fact that they're not showing a profit. Pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I think that just comes with the territory of being CEO of the company. It's like... Having a big picture. It's like every night after the game, the manager of a baseball team has to talk about the game as if there are really answers to the questions that reporters are asking. Tom Maluli is an investment advisor representative with Maluli Asset Management. All opinions expressed by Tom and his podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Maluli Asset Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Maluli Asset Management may maintain positions in securities discussed in this podcast. We're going to see, as we saw in this story that was in the Wall Street Journal, about traders are going to be talking up cryptocurrencies and then dumping them and costing people millions of dollars. In, in the unregulated world, this stuff's going to happen. That's, you signed up for that when you get involved with these kind of unregulated securities. Uh, look, and that's not to say this isn't happening with stocks still. You might have more recourse if if something is really a fraud, but I think you're just as big an idiot if you're buying penny stocks that are getting pumped and dumped by celebrities like yeah. like 50 Cent or whoever was doing that recently. Uh, this I think this it was still the, happens to I people. I think it was like, the girl from the Wonder Years who was coming out with a crypto. I just it's an ICO. Like this had this can happen. It's not like the it's not exclusive to the vehicle of cryptocurrencies though. There's still fraud in stocks and people are still like people are there are always going to be people who will believe these stories despite the fact that anybody with a brain should know that they're not real. They're they're made up. They're a fraud or there's nothing behind this. But people love like penny stocks. Oh, they're sexy stories. Right. But they're not even like it's like, oh, I can buy 100 shares for $100. Like, this is great. Like, I like it, people don't think in percentage terms. Like, I'm not like if I make 100% on this investment, it doesn't matter if I had one share that cost $100 or 100 shares that cost $1. $1 I'm still going to make the same percentage returns. And what what are the odds of making those percentage terms? in right. a type of investment. And if you're talking about a penny stock, sure, there's like the lottery outcome where it goes to $2 and you just you just doubled your money. But like, realistically, what are the odds of that? It, when, These aren't we real do, companies. They're penny stocks for a reason. Like yeah. they, if they were good, they would have had an IPO and it wouldn't have IPO'd at a dollar or 50 cents. Like these companies have something wrong with them or it's a fraud. So right. you should realize that and you should probably do some homework to look at things like cryptocurrencies too because it's the same kind of mindset that that allows people to be taken advantage of in situations like this. So when we talk about like penny stocks and low price stocks and things like that, there was another uh, headline that I saw on the CNBC website, a simple trick 
that I'm using to save over $500 on my bills. Okay, not the same thing, but I figured it was a good segue into yeah, this. Now it works. So this, this article is an interesting ap- approach to fitting into a budget. And more or less, it amounted to advice to share things like streaming services, like like Spotify, you can have like a family account and save some money, or like Netflix, you can have a handful of users on the same account and it's no problem. Uh, or uh, like, like your cell phone, like you can often bundle with family or even friends, but that has its own uh, implications that they discussed in the article. Like like your credit score could be damaged by sharing like a family plan with friends because yeah. then you're on the hook for that. It's them. a little but, dangerous. So yeah, you got to trust who you're doing it with. But like the idea that you can, you can save a few bucks here and there by bundling things like this or sharing services with friends and family. And I like that idea. And if it works for somebody and allows their, their monthly numbers to be what they need to be, that that's great for them. I take kind of almost the opposite approach when when talking to people about budgets and and keeping their cash flows looking good where I'd rather see people focus on the big decisions that they have like like housing costs, like either their mortgage or the rent and transportation costs, like like how far you're traveling, proximity to your job, your car or train costs or subways or whatever you're taking. Focus on these big things and healthcare big percentages of your income are tied up into these kind of things if you look at your monthly cost and if you can get these these kind of numbers right then it doesn't matter if you're sharing your Netflix password with your brother or going to Starbucks for a latte a couple times a week right uh, but people seem to take you know the opposite approaches here you can you can nickel and dime and clip coupons and if that works for you that's great uh, or you can make the big decisions right and then just have some discretionary income to spend on silly things or to not not buy what's on sale at the grocery store or spend spend some extra getting fresh produce or stuff like that. It makes sense. I think it, it, it always makes sense to be reviewing your monthly bills and just see where the money's going. But like Brendan's saying is, you know, look at the big rocks in the river, you know, and, and focus on that stuff first. Uh, before you start, you know, taking the whipped cream out of the latte. Yeah, but but you know, like like what you just said, uh, and Tim Tim put it this way recently in one of his Living with Money podcasts is you you want to audit these decisions that you're making, and so like you want to audit your cash flows and make sure that where your money is going makes sense. Uh, and if you can make adjustments, it's easy to quantify. It's like okay, so I've spent X on coffees over the last year now. If I stop doing that, what is it really going to net me? And is that going to make a dent in what I'm trying to accomplish here? Uh, or what if I just, what if I, what if I could move into a place where my rent were lower? Sure. What would that do? Yeah. And think about the trade-offs and then make your decision from there with whatever you're comfortable with. There was uh, an article that we all read uh, recently on Morningstar from Christine Benz that we have spent a lot of time talking about. The keys to financial success are incredibly mundane. Sorry. Yeah. Christine talked about she she related these these mundane decisions to how people are always looking for like the next fad diet that's going to make things just work for them like if they could just eat the right stuff they'd be able to go out and like run a marathon or something and she related that to people who think that if they just had the right mix of investments that like the rest of their financial life would take care of itself. And she pointed out that there are, there are people in our industry that cater to that mindset and and will tell people, "Yeah, you know what? Like like she had a friend for instance that had visited an advisor 
who said, uh, you need to own more small caps. And I also think that you should own this annuity that I want to sell you. And, and this person went to Christine and Christine was like, you know, I think you probably just need like more cash reserves and you should up your savings rate and not worry about your mix of investments. Cause f you know, for all intents, it's, it's fine. There's nothing glaring that needs to be changed about it. I think a lot of people fall victim to that mindset. And it's an, it's an easier and sexier sell for the advisor to say, oh yeah, like we'll just work some magic here, tweak the portfolio, and it's going to fix the fact that you don't save enough money. That really is the bottom line, is that so many folks are just not saving enough. That would repair a lot of situations that we see coming in here in the office. Mm -hmm. So some of the things that she talked about were the saving and spending rate. Right. That's that's a big one. Uh, she also talked about doing things like investing in yourself in terms of like furthering your career because your earnings power in terms of what you're taking home and pay. Uh, if you can, if you can just invest going for an advanced degree or some kind of additional certification. Yeah. Right. Or even just like learning by like reading outside of work, uh, to further your career or networking amongst your peers. These, these, these are the kind of things that can change the top line number for you from where, when, when you're doing financial planning, what you're starting with. I mean, if that number is higher, it makes everything easier. So doing things that maybe will allow you to earn more money, uh, for yourself having a sane investment allocation. So like not not trying to be like 100% in stocks instead of like saving 2% more of your income for the year. Like find out the balance where you can have a portfolio that's not going to be all over the map and the savings rate that supports it is fun, like that they, that they work and they get you to where you you need to be in the future. Right. So these, these kind of things, but these things are boring. So it's easier to tell somebody like, ah, oh, yes, we have you know, this special uh, mutual fund or annuity or investment product that's going to fix all your problems. That's an easier sale than having these tough conversations with people about actual spending and savings habits. Uh, it's a little tougher to make somebody do, but that's what's going to move the needle. It and is. And it's a tougher conversation to have, you yeah. know, here at the table or, you know, on the phone with someone to talk about savings habits. And they really want to talk about their investments. Right. In many cases. Right. It's, look, it's not to say that investment selection and your your allocation are entirely irrelevant. You can you can make mistakes there too, and you need to make sure you're doing stuff that's right. And one of the points Christine touched on is to keep costs low, uh, and and focus on behavior too. But to start, you know, to start the conversation with the investment allocation, I think is is starting in the wrong place. I think you yeah. want to start in some of these other spots and eventually work your way to that and make sure that the allocation is serving, you know, the the purpose and the plan that you need it to. But to begin there without any of the backstory is just, yeah. uh, it's not going to fix your problems. So Brendan, if I uh, were considering moving to Michigan or Oklahoma and I had a million dollars and I'm ready to retire, am I going to be okay? You are. I saw, we saw this article about how far a million will take you in retirement in each state. Uh, so those were some of the top five in terms of how many years a million dollars would last you. Can you can you guess some of the bottom five? Well, I'm gonna guess New York and New Jersey. New Jersey was not one of them. It was also not it was not even close to being one of the top five, but it was not a bottom five. That's surprising. Right, I was surprised to see that too. Uh, we we tend to think things are like worse. They're than terrible they are here. here, right? Like this is the worst state ever. And everybody's. Did you know everybody is moving out of New Jersey? Yeah, literally everybody. Everyone. Right? Yeah. yeah, turn the lights off. Yes. Last one to leave. Right. So uh, what are some of the other ones? Uh, Hawaii, Alaska, California, New York. Okay. Now, this is 
where your retirement funds will not go as far. Yes. So they won't go as far in Hawaii. Makes sense. It's a remote it's island, a uh, group of, of islands. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Alaska, the same. California and New York, you would guess, and Maryland rounded out the top five. Maryland, Maryland. is expensive, yeah. uh, and I think that that again, you're generalizing with states here. It's not to say there aren't less expensive parts of New York or like Maryland, for instance. I know some some parts are much cheaper than others, but the closer you get to D.C., the more expensive it becomes. I can't believe. I mean, I, obviously, people's when we talk about New York, they think about the New York City metro area, how expensive. I mean, it's out of control. Right, but you know, pretty soon you're going on an annual canoe trip to a part of New York State that doesn't seem very expensive to live in. No, it's beautiful out there. It's the middle of nowhere. Uh, and This is and, like the, one of the northernmost areas in Sullivan County. Yeah, so it's it's kind of like, it's not f- far from, well, across the, across the Delaware River is Pennsylvania, but most of our drive to get up there is in New Jersey. Right. It's a beautiful area, and you could probably get a cabin in the woods there with uh, a neighbor not within eyesight for something reasonable, I would assume. So, yeah, that's not to say that all of New York is outrageous. Uh, the taxes, obviously, the same rates apply across the state, but it's not to say that you're paying uh, the same for groceries out at, at where we go canoeing that you do in New York City at the bodega on the corner. Right. Okay, so what are some of the best places in the United States to live uh, where a million dollars in retirement will go further? Uh, so you hit on a couple of them, Mississippi, Oklahoma, Michigan, uh, Arkansas, and Alabama Okay, is, is where your money goes the furthest. Uh, a state like Pennsylvania was like right in the middle. Okay, It was, it was like 25. It was r- right there in the center. And obviously, a lot of the country is right there in the middle in terms of cost. So you have these outliers on either end that are either really cheap or really expensive in terms of cost of living and uh, a lot fall in the middle. I think it makes sense to you know look around, do your homework as you're getting ready to retire. Hey, have you ever thought about relocating to another part of the country? Uh, what are the costs going to be like? I think it's not safe to assume that your costs in New Jersey are going to be the same if you're living in the Carolinas. Mm-hmm. It's probably going to be less. Right. But we don't know. I think that retirement ends up being a, a good time to think about stuff like that because at that point, you don't have kids around the house anymore. You're finishing your job, so that's not tethering you to a location anymore. So you have the ability to explore options like this where maybe your money can go further for you in retirement. But the, we kind of joked about it before. like The, the idea that like people are flooding out of like New York and New Jersey uh, or these expensive states while they're still in the prime earning years of their career. Like good luck finding your executive job in New York City in somewhere else, right? In Arkansas or something like you're not going to. So Mm -hmm. it would be a huge change. And if you're in your prime earning years, let's say like 40s and 50s, probably still have kids who like, are you going to uproot them from school and move them across the country too so you can go and get a completely new job that pays less just to save some money on like state income taxes yeah probably not right and a lot uh, i read an article actually on bloomberg and they were talking about a lot of uh, like ultra wealthy people from like connecticut new york city like hedge fund types uh the idea of like owning a second home in florida and 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 how maybe you could you could get away with that and I read that like the laws uh, for New York specifically are like like they'll like follow you around like you need to use like a burner phone and cash when you're in New York because the number of days that you're there like you're not getting away with it so you either need to like actually move to Florida 
or just like get over the idea that you can somehow find a loophole to live in New York but pay Florida or not pay Florida taxes, right? Yeah. You know, a lot of people like talking about leaving places because the cost of living is high, stuff like that. But realistically, a it's, huge, it's a huge decision. It's a huge decision, and it comes with a huge cost. I know that almost 30 years ago, I moved to Chicago. It seemed like every night I was doing one of those Ben Franklin T squares, like the pros on one side, the cons on the other. And it was pro, 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 pro. There was only one con on the right side of the page, and it was, I'm going to miss my family. I had no idea how much that outweighed all the other pros that were on the left side of the page. Yeah. So it's a very serious decision. It's all those trade-offs, and yeah. uh, it's it's you know it's not something that you can just look at uh, the finances of and make a decision on. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in to episode 225, and look for us on the next podcast coming up real soon.